Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Welcome to Life on Mars, podcast about entrepreneurship, innovation, and technology of Mars space. Tonight, today, I don't know when you listen to this podcast, we've got Victoria Gago here. Uh, we met a couple of years back, actually, through um, Danny Salmeron, a business partner, in, um, in a, on a plane, if I remember correctly, going to, going to Denmark, going to two separate conferences. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about conferences. Are there coming anytime soon? Offline conferences, that is, because we have online events, we have hybrid events, we have streaming events, and we talked about concerts and the music industry in a couple couple episodes back, and we want to know about the business side of conventions, right? Hello, Victoria. Welcome to our show. How are you doing? Hello, Alex. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm doing well, and I'm excited to be here today. Great. Thank you. So let's talk about, because one of the things that, that you guys, that you are involved in many things, right? You've got a fertility startup. You, you are the director of a, of, a, of a master's program about blockchain. You're involved in, in several um, technological uh, in, in innova- uh, like innovation initiatives. And one of the things that you do is you organize the European Blockchain Convention. Can you tell us a little bit, just to give some context, what is it about? What is it about? We, what we do at the European Blockchain Convention is to connect the European blockchain ecosystem. And we do that through our conferences and through new initiatives we have currently launched just this month. So um, at the European Blockchain Convention, we have connected the European blockchain ecosystem through conferences in Barcelona, where both you and I are based, but also in Copenhagen. And then now, due to COVID, we were forced to, to go online. Yeah, but okay, so let's talk about the how it started. Like how when did you decide to create a conference? What were the reasons? Because there's a lot of reasons to organize a conference. Some people do it for the money, some people doing because they want to create an impact in the ecosystem. Some they want to build a network. Some they do it because it's part of their marketing strategy in the company. What was your reason? Well, um, it all started back in 2017 where I got into blockchain and I got into Ethereum a bit and Bitcoin. I was working in a financial institution here in Barcelona. So it was a group where we had a private equity fund where I wasn't working. And Daniel Samaron was working in the asset manager part of the business. And I'd started investing in, in Bitcoin and in Ethereum. And I realized that there was a huge potential behind this technology. So one thing is to invest in some of these uh, cryptocurrencies, but actually the, the potential behind this technology was huge. So in 2017, I said to Daniel, hey, let's bring together decision makers to discuss the use of blockchain. Because, I mean, if we're just a bunch of like... Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, not not being decision makers of big corporates talking about this technology. That's 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 cool, but we're not gonna we're not gonna move the technology forward. And then he was like, "Nah, now why why bring together people? I mean, why why create a conference? Makes no sense." Then I asked him the year after, <laughs> in 2018, <laughs> I was like, "Hey, should we do this conference? <laughs> bring together like big corporates, you know, listed from European stock exchanges, even mid-sized companies, governments, you know." any important organizations and he was like mm-hmm. hmm, okay why not and, mm-hmm. and 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 again um 
the the main objective was to evolve together with this technology but we knew coming from the financial industry that it's not enough to have young people or enthusiasts uh, in this technology to make it evolve you need people to invest time you need people to invest money and big corporates have more money to invest and have more resources in terms of human capital to invest in this technology so that's a and, bit the background and you started offline though right exactly we started offline how, yeah <laughs> how was the experience of creating a first like how big was it just to give some context we also organized a conference in March this we organized Starbrand conference right and the first one was quite a challenge because even though we had been grinding it out for five years at the time so we had a monthly event and then mm -hmm. it was sort of relatively easy for us to transition from a monthly event to bring people to a, a conference because we had a brand right mm. but in your case you were creating something new how was that challenge like So um, that was interesting. I mean, first of all, both of us were working in the financial industry, so we were working 24-7. <laughs> and then at the same time, we had to create this ambitious conference. Um, and the thing is, in 2018, there were a lot of like um, crypto-crazy people who were, <laughs> who were there to make you know, a lot of money quickly. Also, we had the whole uh, ICO boom. I don't know if you heard about it, but the yeah, ICOs were basically, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it was that. like a lot of, a lot of PowerPoint presentation, raising millions, of millions of billions in, in crypto coins to, to bring forward their projects. So, uh, so you had to kind of prove that you were not, you know, a crazy initiative, um, just wanted to make like quick money without mm -hmm. actually bringing any volume, uh, volume, no. <laughs> value to the community so um i mean we were like very i guess uh, aware of that we had to bring you know big companies you know like listed big companies like maybe santander you know one of the largest yeah. banks in the world or to bring central banks you know i mean if you have a central bank participating in your congress you know it gives you like a, a stamp of that okay this is this is the real shit right so how we, did you get we, them How do you get them, by the way? Because it's yeah. not, for a first initiative, it's it's easy to get speakers who are like, yeah, no, it's a third initiative, the third edition yeah. of this conference, right? But for the first one, how did you get like central banks and the like? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, how how did we do that? So, um, I mean, I think I've always been good to connect with people uh, through LinkedIn. So, like mm -hmm. speaking to people and getting to know important people. Um, and we both did that. Uh, so I managed to speak to one of the heads of um, Santander uh, Innovation Investment Bank side of the business. And he got me into like, um, so have you heard about Alastria? Yeah. Alastria, yeah. yeah. So it's a Spanish consortium uh, focused on blockchain. So I got into their WhatsApp group. Um, and Daniel got to speak, I think, through LinkedIn to... Uh, one of the board members of the Swiss National Bank. Oh, and wow. then, <laughs> so this, this board member was like, yeah, 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 let's create like, yeah, let's create a, a central bank, so, uh, no, central bank panel. And he connected us, you know, with other central banks. So I guess, I guess, but also I think, so Daniel was working in fixed income and, mm. you know, I mean, he understood exactly how, you know, central bank works. And he was like, okay, I, I read this paper, I read this paper. And I guess also this board member of the Swiss National Bank was like, okay, okay, you know, this is serious uh, young people who are trying to put together a serious conference. So I guess it was like that. But we were always thinking about like, 
um, bringing like people with experience and also with important names, right? Um, and ignoring all those experts, <laughs> experts in blockchain who actually, I mean, would not bring any value to our conference, right? Yeah, how did you separate the grain from the chaff? Because there's a lot of so-called experts. It's the same like if you organize a conference in technology, you would get a lot of agile coaches and professional speakers, people who know so much about agile, yet they've never worked in IT projects, right? But they know the yeah. theory. I have the feeling that is, you know, there's a parallelism between that and blockchain cryptos, right? How do you get, how do you get read off, let's say, professional speakers? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I don't mind professional speakers, but I, I mean, mean we were, yeah, these yeah, people yeah. just just do speaking for a living, but they yeah, yeah, don't yeah, have yeah, any yeah. sort of tangible experience, yeah. so to speak. So, I mean, we, I guess, also coming from the financial industry, we knew how to analyze uh, companies, right. projects, right? Yeah. So we had that experience. So it's not like we were going to invest invest in the Swiss National Bank or in Santander, but we knew how to analyze a company and to to see if, if they actually had a, a small team working on blockchain, right? And actually had something to offer, to share. Um, so that's how we, we got, got through it. Um, basically analyzing the different companies or, or com, um, consultancy firms um, right. to see if they could actually offer something. So, but again, always thinking of like, okay, we wanted to be like high level, uh, work with the good names, uh, serious names in the industry. Um, so yeah, analyzing basically. Yeah. But mm, back to the original question, because I interrupted you twice with two sub questions. But the first okay. question was like the challenge of the creating the first conference. What was the, like the toughest parts where we're okay. like, you know, uh, we didn't have experience in this. We didn't expect so many people to turn up or we fucked up in ordering the catering. I don't know. Things yeah. like that. <laughs> I think everything was a challenge. But I think one main challenge was to figure out who my clients were. Because from, from the very beginning, I mean, for, for, for us, this was going to be a business. So it, it was going to be like a sustainable business. Well, that, that, that's, that was our goal. Um, so it was not just, you know, to, to, you know, just for fun. It was actually, I mean, we wanted to, to bring value to the community, but also to, to make it sustainable financially. So uh, one challenge very clearly was to figure out who my clients were. Who my clients were. Um, so obviously we had one, one part of the business were, were to sell tickets and then to sell sponsorships. And, and, and that was difficult. I guess it's very normal when you start a business, you don't know exactly who your clients are or should be or could be. So I reached out to a lot of companies trying to sell sponsorships and it was like, nah, yeah. that, that's not how it works. So in the first edition, we had very few sponsors, very few sponsors. We actually managed to sell a lot of tickets uh, but we had very oh, few wow. sponsors. Yeah, so we sold, sold a lot of tickets, but uh, yeah. And actually, so that was a challenge and, and we are still working on that, but we have improved. <laughs> we are becoming better to, 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 you know, to realize and to, to offer our services to, to the right clients. Um, so that was a challenge. Who are our clients? Another challenge, yeah. I guess, is also to, to bring together because I was, our goal was to bring 500 people together. That was also a challenge. Um, a challenge because there were so many people that wanted to attend for free. I yes. Mean, this, That's this the thing have, about business, right? The business <laughs> yeah. conferences. Oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, this, this first edition could have been huge. I mean, I think 500 people is huge. I mean, that was, I mean, I was very happy and proud of that. But 
there were so many people that could have attended for free. But I was like, no, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, work for free for you. You know, I'm actually providing a service and there is a lot of work behind this. I cannot have, you know, I cannot work for free for you. And I cannot also pay your food, your drinks, your Correct. this and that. Yeah, because we celebrated the, 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 the first edition. We always do that in, in like expensive, you know, places, five-star hotels kind of thing. And the food and everything there is super expensive. I'm like, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't go to a restaurant and say, hey, I mean, if you want, maybe I can wash some dishes and then you can give me some free food, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. No. So uh, that was also challenging to, you know, to actually, you know, get enough people there. And obviously an important part paying tickets. Um, and obviously saying no to a lot of people because I'm like, no, I'm not going to give you this for free. Um, so that was another challenge. Um, and I guess also um, proving to people that this was serious and that we could actually offer, you know, a good conference, right? Because we were nobody, right? We were nobody. And then suddenly we appeared <laughs> and we're like, no, this is serious. This is, this is a brilliant conference, serious speakers, serious projects, right? So that was also a challenge. I think those three, like who were my customers? Uh, selling tickets and filling up the, the space with 500 people and, and proving that this was the real shit. <laughs> yeah, because usually in the first editions, it's easy to think big. And yeah. then, so overpromise and underdeliver, right? You think yeah. you're going to sell 500 tickets. So you book a, a place for 500 people, right? And you book catering for 500 people, maybe a little bit more because they will be hungry, right? Because you don't know the rules of the game. Yeah. And you think you're going to sell this amount of sponsors. You end up not selling all of them. And so, I don't know, like most conferences don't make their ends meet for a couple of editions at least, two, three editions until they start breaking even or generating uh, serious money, right? So how was it for you financially? Like, was it was it good from the get-go? I take it that because it was something perhaps niche and, and, and super hot at the moment, uh, people were hungry for these kind of conferences so that they were eager to pay tickets. But for most conferences first year, no one pays tickets for it. Yeah. How is it for you? So, um, I mean, I think we managed to, to create a good edition um, also financially um, because we were very strict, you know, as I said before, in terms of, I mean, if you want to attend, you need to buy a ticket. Obviously, you know, the speakers had a right to bring several colleagues or friends and all of that. I mean, we also had a lot of free tickets, but that's different because, you know, that's for the speakers and for the partners. But anyone who wanted to attend who were not, you know, a contact or a friend of a speaker or from our partner's side, if they were very eager and maybe the ticket was a bit too expensive, then we would like, you know, provide some discounts um, to make it maybe a bit more financially easier for them to pay. Um, but also we had our newsletter um, and had different like discounts coming through our newsletter. So people could, uh, you know, buy like a, a ticket uh, with an offer that was uh, valid for like, I don't know, a few days, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, yeah, on the ticket side, it went very well, went very well. And as you said, yeah, the, the um, technology blockchain was very hard in 2018. But I still think, uh, I mean, we were very active even on LinkedIn, you know, speaking to people and negotiating there. I mean, we spend a lot of time selling on LinkedIn, actually. Um, yeah, but again, active on the on social media. So I guess that helps too if your audience is there because yeah. you, you maybe 
I don't know if you had built your network before or you built it at the same time that you were building the network for the conference. That's my question. We, we built it at the same time. At the same oh, wow. time. All right. Yeah, at the Good. same time. No, no. I mean, we were nobody. <laughs> we were nobody. I mean, we did not exist in the blockchain ecosystem. However, uh, and ticket-wise, I think it was somehow easier to sell because it was a financial conference as opposed to maybe we're on the side of entrepreneurship conferences, we're startup conference, we know entrepreneurs are broke and don't want to pay for tickets, right? But if you have central banks, people from Santander, people from, you know, big consultancies, like you probably had people from Accenture or EY, things like that, that they are super into this space as well. They want to speak in conferences. They're more corporate. Therefore, a company pays for the tickets, right? Was it easier for you to get ticket sales because of that? Um, I mean... Part of our like customers who bought tickets are yeah are from big corporates, uh, and I guess for them it's easier to you know to invest in a ticket because you know because they have the budget to attend conferences, business conferences throughout the year. Um, but we also had a lot of like um, I would say freelancers or from smaller companies, startups, and so on that bought tickets because uh, maybe they were looking into the technology or maybe they wanted to learn more. Or maybe they had just started their startup in, 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 in the blockchain space, right? So they also bought tickets. But we could see, obviously, because what we did was to start with cheaper tickets and then the prices would increase when we got closer to, to the event date, that a lot of corporates bought the last few days. And they don't mind maybe paying, you know, double up the price because, you know, they have the budget to, 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 to pay for these tickets. But to be honest, I mean, we had to... Sell, as I said before, on LinkedIn, not just LinkedIn by, I mean, actually, we never, we never, to be honest, we never talked about prices uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter, never. So we were talking about our conference all the time and making, you know, promotion. But when I said we were selling on LinkedIn was like, you know, if I had a conversation with you on LinkedIn through the chat like that. So there was a lot of push there. There was a lot of manual work there. Um, so I'll be talking to you and be like, oh yeah, I would love to attend but ticket price is so expensive. And I'll be like, okay, maybe let me, let me check. Maybe I can do something for you. And then I would, you know, give you a discount yeah. to make it easier yeah. for you to be able to, to pay. But, but I think at the end of the day, um, I mean, sometimes we discuss this obviously internally that should you pay, should you not pay for tickets? But I believe that if you pay for a ticket, you're going to be much more like valuing the, the product because you're going to be there because you pay for your ticket. than if you attend something free, I mean, I can see it myself. If I attend something free, I'm there like 50% or 20% or maybe I'm not, I'm not even there, right? So if you buy a ticket, you, you're going to enjoy much more the product, much more for the service. Yeah, that's from the buyer's perspective, right? From, from the end user perspective. I know I paid a, like sometimes, I'm not sure about whether I will go to a concert, for instance, but if I think I should go, I will buy the ticket because then it's like, okay, I will go because I've already bought it. If you postpone yeah. the decision, you're not sure about it and you probably will, will not go. But from the organizer's standpoint, it makes it like, you know that free events, I've got an uncertainty of 80%, right? Whereas paid events, it, it can go down up to 10%, 5% even, right? So if you're buying catering, if you're securing a venue for a certain amount of people, if you're buying drinks, coffee, break, uh, snacks and whatever, you need to know the amount of people you need to know exactly. and you need to make sure they come. Cause otherwise if like, if, if it rains, for instance, they will not go if they didn't pay for the ticket. Right. But exactly. if, they have, if they paid for the ticket, they will come even if it's fucking pouring. Right. Exactly. Um, you don't <laughs> exactly. want to have your conference empty. 
right? Yeah. That's the worst thing that could happen. So exactly. it works both ways, actually. That's why we, we charge for our events, right? Not the online events right now because, you know, there's a pandemic going on yeah. and we don't, we don't really need it. But, uh, but for the conference, it's like, yeah, there's no free tickets. And yeah. it's easier to make no exceptions than to make a few exceptions, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. you need to be very strict on that. How, do you, how exactly. many people did you get in the, in the conference? Because you did several editions, right? So on average, yeah. how many people did you get? And, so, and what profiles are they? Yeah, in the in the first edition we were five hundred, which was our goal. Five hundred really throughout the first edition, yeah. Yeah, 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 and it was our goal. But but I think also me and Daniel were very very much like, or Daniel and I were very much like, okay, if we promise something, we need to deliver it. We were like, it would be so embarrassing, and if you start promising something and you don't deliver that, you it's mean the number? You. Yeah, the number of participants. I think. I mean, I know so many events say, okay, we're gonna be woo, like I don't know, like. Thousands, yeah. and then they're like nobody. And I think, I mean, it's also a way to prove, you know, to your customers that if you say something, you're gonna deliver it. So um, we were 500 in the first edition. Then in Copenhagen, we were close to 400, um, or maybe a bit less. Well, in the Nordics, obviously, it's it's a, it's it's a smaller market, right? Yes. And then in Barcelona in January, we were 600. Wow. And. In the online edition, we managed to have 1,500 people in September. Wow. Okay. How many relatives did you get into the first edition? Now, what was the percentage relatives. of Relatives. <laughs> Very few. <laughs> relatives. Just kidding. But I was like, <laughs> normally, normally, in the first edition of something, you got you to gotta chase your friends and relatives. So friends, family, and fools. Come to the event. Just like yeah. whatever people. You just In the first edition, you need whatever people, right? And uh, um, that's that's what we had few. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, just just kidding. But so you doubled your size for the online. That means there's still a hunger for this kind of conference. And um, obviously, online you can get you get exposure to a broader market because you could have people from New Zealand who wouldn't fly their asses off to Barcelona or to Copenhagen for a day of conference or two days, right? But online is why not? But at the same time, you're competing against everybody else's, right? Yeah. So, okay, let's talk a little bit more about the, the offline and then you will jump into the online. But how is like, what's the networking like in your events? Because that's a big part of the conferences, right? There's a lot of people like me, for instance, we don't go for the content in the conferences, but we still go to conferences because there's the backstage, right? So mm-hmm. there's a party. Well, I mean, there's the parties, there's the, there's the networking, there's the uh, satellite events, right? There's events happening, you know, nearby that you want to attend. There's the private dinners, private uh, private meetings. There's a serendipity of bumping into other people. That's what I go to conferences for. But how's the networking? Uh, what what is this kind of you know the network generation aspect in your conference like? That's very important. Um, obviously, um, so when it's a physical event, we used to have well, we usually have, we always have, uh, like a reception the night before the the day of the conference. But this is only for speakers. For speakers, yeah. Yeah, and like the most important people, but also the ones who bought a VIP ticket, basically. We don't call it a VIP ticket, but, you know, to put it a name, a VIP ticket. So so it's a smaller petite comité. Um, we have the... <laughs> it was fun. In the first edition... <laughs> that was very ambitious. In the first edition of the European Blockchain Convention, we, we did the reception in a one-star Michelin restaurant. Wow, that was a bit expensive. <laughs> no, but yeah, the thing is, no, but actually... I hope you had uh, good sponsors for that. 
how many how many people how many people were there? like how many speakers no, and VIPs? It, it was small it was for 30 people or something i mean it was wow. yeah Sales very small pretty, but pretty big yeah but the thing is actually um you can get like some good menus one star michelin menus for a price that is not too bad i mean compared to other services but you know when you grow i mean this is i mean you cannot do that but that was I think that was very like also to start like, you know, very high level. We did not do that uh, the, the year after. But um, so we had, we have always have the like, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the reception the night before. And then throughout the conference, the first year was one day. So we would have breaks throughout the day between the panel discussions. Um, we have one stream. So we would have a few panel discussions, break, panel discussions, break. So people have the opportunity to, you know, to network throughout the day between the, the panel discussions. What we have seen is, to be honest, that most people, when the panel discussions are going on, are in there. People want to learn. I guess it's because it's still, you know, a new technology. It's not like, you know, when you do a conference and it's, it's, it's startups, it's investors, um, maybe a lot of those participants attendees do not need to learn like more stuff, right? So they can be outside networking. But in our conferences, <laughs> whenever a, a panel discussion starts, people go in, which is cool because you can see like people like, you know, taking notes and like they're very like, you know, <laughs> learning a lot. So, but I, I mean, I guess for some people, it would be better to have more networking space, you know, like maybe having a break that is longer, but then, what do you do with the content? I mean, you need to provide all, all the content as well. So it's difficult for us to, you know, to fit in more, more, more time for networking because we have so much content. And again, you know, when, you, when you're working with a five-star five hotel, you know, if you need to have another day at the venue, more food, more coffee, more, more kava, it's just much more expensive. So <laughs> we try to reduce it in terms of, you know, uh, days right having it one day or two days yeah yeah and the, precisely you brought up a really really good point here when i was mentioning all these networking parts i skipped i missed one of them this like the speakers dinner right well speakers reception vip whatever yeah. because in the backstage there's a lot of business to be done and speakers will remember if they went to a conference and they got a contract right or they yeah. got like some you know or investment or whatever, or the, you know, uh, this startup who's doing really well, the meets on the backstage, the, the VCs of Atomico or Target Global or um, Point Nine Capital, and they talk and that a few months in, that results into some fundraising, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I met them at this conference, right? And yeah. this is something attendees don't see, but speakers who make a conference, so to speak, uh, because they're the selling point of the conference, right? If you see good speakers, you're gonna go. Um, yeah. The, this is really important to nurture this part. So let's jump to online now, because in the online, it's really difficult to make this part happen. How do you make the interaction between speakers happen? Or did you skip it for the first edition of the online conference? Good question. Um, for us, it was very important to provide networking throughout the online event, which was in September. We were actually very scared. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess it's normal. We were scared, but we had one one attendee, well, two attendees that, that attended our audition in Barcelona, physically, and were like pushing us and said, "Hey, if you do, if you do an online edition, we will sponsor the networking tool and the platform." Oh, and wow. I was like, "Okay, yeah." Was, was, like, it, okay, was it okay. their platform or? 
No, no, it was not their platform, but, okay. but they wanted to be sponsors and then they would pay for the networking tool, which is actually nice. quite expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah and I was yeah. like, okay, that, that makes it easier, right? Because then, you know, the, the first uh, fixed cost you will have, it's going to be already covered, right, by a sponsor. So that pushed us, but we were very scared. Um, we analyzed different tools, uh, different platforms that, that provide networking opportunities for, for attendees that are attending an online event. And we decided to go with Brella, which is a Finnish company startup. And how does it work with the networking there? So basically, um, you will create a profile to, to see all the conferences, well, all the panel discussions, but also to be able to network. So I would create a profile there and you would have a profile there, Alex. And then I could, you know, send a request as you do on LinkedIn. And it could be to chat or to have a one-to-one -one meeting. So like with camera. And the, these one-to-one uh, -one meetings, uh, we decided that they should be 15 minutes long. I think it was 15, yeah. And then if people wanted to continue talking, they could always use you know, other tools like Zoom or, or, or so on. So the thing is, when you have to network online, you need to be very uh, active yourself, but it can be very efficient. We had one sponsor that said this, this was amazing. Because obviously, when you are in physical events, sometimes you end up speaking to people who are not that relevant to you. But you need to be nice and you need to continue the conversation for, for a while <laughs> before you say bye-bye, right? Because you don't want to be rude. So for them, they were like, okay, this was so efficient. We could like scroll down and, you know, request meetings with all the people we wanted to. Obviously, you cannot expect everybody to accept you. But they literally spoke to so many relevant people um, thanks to this, you know, pick, pick and choose, right? Um, but for other sponsors, it was like, oh, you know, they, they, it was difficult for them to like, you know, get to use the tool. But it's actually quite powerful if you, if you use it the right way. But it's different. It's very different. I know. <laughs> so and like, I'm, I'm sort of a romantic and I think that you lose serendipity this way because people are screening you based on whatever basic little information you got. And maybe some underdogs that will not have the ability or the chance to speak to higher profile people just because their profile is not very appealing, right? So it's sort of like a Tinder for, 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 um, for networking, which is sad in a way, right? I mean, I'm just thinking of, of the, the amount of times people have told me like, you know, I was at Web Summit and I bumped into this guy and it was like a really big important BCO. He was from the government of Singapore or whatever. And, and I didn't have anything, but like I got, I, I got really good connections or contracts. I had a really good chat with him. That wouldn't happen in this sort of, uh, of, of, of environments, right? Is this something that you think it will stay like this? Or will we sort of come across um, like a new way of making this serendipity online as well? How do you envision, like, how could we improve this part? Yeah. It doesn't feel, feel fair for newcomers. No, no, and you're so right. But I want to tell you a story about our last last edition in September. Sure, we had a young guy, I think he was 18 years old, who helped us out, like oh, wow. maybe writing a few articles and he got a free ticket. And this guy, you could see who, who had reached out to more people. I think he reached out to everyone. Like everyone. <laughs> but was he spamming or was it No, nice? no, I mean, he actually, I mean, he's a smart guy, but like also very like ambitious. And... By reaching out to everyone, somehow some of these high-level people, a certain percentage, would also expect, ex ex accept a call with him, right? So 
I mean, it depends on how ambitious you are. If you really want, I mean, like this guy, you can actually also get to speak to high level people, but obviously it's different. It's not like you bump into them. You need to have them accepting your, your requests, right? So for the future, um, we believe that, that events will be probably hybrid. Um, so you will have a physical part of the event and then the online uh, part. And well, for the, for the physical, as you said, yeah, you, you, get, you get to bump into opportunities maybe you don't have online. But also, I think it's, it's, it's great to have people attending from, you know, I mean, in our edition now in September, we saw people from, from very exotic countries attending. And I think if it was physically, maybe they wouldn't be able because of the, you know, you know, all the fees and all the cost in terms of traveling and so on. So it gives also those people an opportunity to connect, right, with the, with the ecosystem here in Europe and, and they can make business or partnerships as well, right? So that's also a way of giving, you know, other people far away opportunities without having them traveling to, to Barcelona. So for the future, hybrid, hybrid. Yeah. Let's say before we go into the future. So, what what was the the biggest changes you saw between going offline and online? What did you lose? What did you win? What did you not expect? For instance, how was the change? Well, um, so we promised to have one thousand five hundred people. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's super ambitious. Again, yeah, how many relatives? That, that was Daniel's <laughs> idea, and I was like, no, that's that's too much. I mean, stop it. <laughs> you know, stop. It. And he was like, no, 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 you know, we need to grow. And I'm like, yeah, but because sometimes I'm like, I mean, it's not about the size. It's also about having the right people there. Right. Not yeah. just having it huge. And then uh, when you connect with people, they're not that relevant to you. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, that was a challenge. That was a challenge because uh, um, in terms of selling tickets, we didn't sell many more tickets compared to the other editions. But we had to provide more free tickets to our speakers, to our partners. And even we had to do some other creative stuff to get more people uh, attending for free. So we had, we, we had, um, we had this uh, um, press pass. And then this press pass, you had to do something. You had to kind of work a bit for us. Yeah, sort so of tweet about it, write a yeah, blog exactly, post, exactly. send it your newsletter. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so it was a challenge. I mean, even though it was online, because people are like, yeah, yeah, but, but when it's online... Um, it's easy. You don't have any cost. It's free, right? It's free. It's free, but it's not free when when it you have not. a conference. It's not free, and also it's not free when you're when when you're selling tickets to other. You need to make sure you know that people correct. You know, don't realize that you're giving free tickets just like that. We were not, so people yeah. had to work for us, right? So it was a challenge to to get one thousand five hundred people. It was. I mean, it was. Um, it was the challenge, I guess, also the technical part because we did it all <laughs> internally. Uh, we did it. We didn't what did have you like use? What, what tool. So we used Brella. That was our tool. Okay, and then okay. We had, I thought that yeah, was for networking only. The, but yeah, but also, uh, yeah. The um, I mean, for for the actual panel discussions, the speakers would would meet in Zoom, and this was connected to Brella. And oh, right. We were also yeah. using Twitch. Um, oh wow. Yeah, Twitch as well for the streaming. So people, I mean, people know the speakers would meet in in, in Zoom. We would have yeah. the meeting there or the uh, the panel discussion there, and then we used Twitch to to stream it on the platform. And then we used another software. I don't remember right now the name. Um, 
yeah, that, so that was also obviously a challenge to to connect all these softwares, and also it was a challenge to make sure that all speakers would be there on time, that all speakers would. Good luck with that. Have, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we managed actually. Yeah, with yeah. Hundred speakers, we managed, uh, but uh, there was also a lot of work, you know, logistics work behind making sure that it was very easy for for the speakers to to connect, to know, to this, to that. Uh, we did a lot of like logistics behind to make sure that everything would went smooth on the day. And to be honest, to be like a small conference like us, I mean, in terms of team compared to other big events and conferences and, and so on. And people were like, okay, wow, you did a great work. I mean, amazing that you had no issues that you had no this and that, that other conferences had, which have more capacity in terms of human capital and even in terms of yeah, normal uh, yeah, cash. So, yeah, uh, how about reset? Like sometimes a speaker is late to your offline conference, right? And that happens all the time. And so you can swap his session or her session with the next one. Usually it's not a big deal because the people on the next panel are already there and they have enough time. Maybe, you know, there's flexibility. So you can swap them. But online, I think because they don't have to travel there, there will be more, you know, I'm going to connect just one minute before. <laughs> and uh, I know I have the exact time because I got another conference call right after the panel, right? So there's, I, I assume, I haven't done it, but I think there's less flexibility, right? How was it in your case? Did you experience this or how did you manage if, if it happened? So we, we, what we did was, so our conference is mainly panel discussions. So we created basically a group on WhatsApp for each panel, okay? So we had everybody connected there in case we had to say something urgently through that chat. How many groups did you have? <laughs> wow. 25. 25. Jesus yeah. Christ, that's a with, lot. Of, with central of banks, with, you know, with, yeah. you know, all, all these high-level people. Good contact. That's good stuff. telephone numbers. The, I yeah, yeah, you. but I'm not going to use them. <laughs> yeah, as well. Of course but, not. No, no. But, you know, but you have them. But so we had everyone in their groups on WhatsApp. Then we asked everybody. Uh, so if their panel discussion would start at 10, we would meet. Everyone would meet. Everyone means the speakers. And then either me or Daniel would meet in Zoom 15, 20 minutes before. And then we would test and, you know, and if, and if somebody came a bit later, it would still be before 10 sharp. Yeah, so we were there. Most of the time, it was like a, a lot of people just would come. Yeah, I know I have to be 15 minutes before, but not going to happen. Right? Well, so, but actually, they, they, they did. They did. They did. I okay, don't know. I mean, good. I think, yeah, I think uh, also it was very easy for them to connect. You know, they had the invitation in the calendar. Sometimes, you know, for a conference, they send you the invitation. You did it as well today, for example. I mean, it was easy for me to connect because I had it in my calendar. But sometimes, you know, yeah. the organizers send you a link in an email and you have to find the email. So we, yeah. made, we, we, we did everything possible for make it as easy, you know, the as use possible, experience yeah. for the speakers and to make sure they were there. So it, it went, I mean, very well. And we were like, we were able to start on time. We were able to finish on time. Maybe a few minutes, you know, of delay here and there. But uh, we, yeah, I think we did a good work there. <laughs> but a lot of I'm, logistics. <laughs> a lot of logistics. Yeah, you, you need yeah. to make it as easy as possible. Send an email with information, CC their personal assistant. and Well, we don't. We don't CC any personal assistant. In, All right. In, in the okay. European Blockchain Convention, I mean, it's very much like... I need to talk say, to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Do a do. In Spanish, you say, you know, it's like, even though you are the managing director of this or whatever, it's like, I'm speaking to you. I think of 100 speakers, we had one or two people where the assistant was, was in, in CC. 
Because I, okay. I prefer to speak to you, I mean, you know, and sure. explain you, because you are the one who has to be there, not your assistant or your, whatever your employee, right? I know so, some people are very difficult to deal with. And even though, you know, that's because they're so busy, they cannot take care of reading an email, right? Yeah, so. yeah, 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 no, I know, I know. But we try really to, to be speaking directly to them. And even on purpose, sometimes I, I don't even put a, in copy <laughs> any uh, yeah. colleagues or any uh, assistants or so on. So, uh, we, we had people just showing up at the conference like, uh, what time am I speaking? It's like, dude, in two minutes, right? <laughs> or <laughs> or what am I talking about? What's the conference? What, what's the language of the conference? Or uh, yeah. what, what's the name of the conference? It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Like some Why people are totally lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because yeah. because it's been managed by, by, by their internal team and therefore exactly. they're just told to be there at this yeah. time. And yeah. given some information, they're brains cannot handle because they're thinking yeah. about their fundraising or I'm selling the company or I'm acquiring a company. Right. Yeah. So it's good that yeah. you managed to do it. Like congratulations, because that's one of the, one of the most difficult parts is manage the speakers, like managing yeah. the speakers. Is, every speaker yeah. is a different world. Like we have speakers yeah. who show up at a different venue. We have speakers who think they're speaking at a different time. We have speakers who don't know what they're talking about. Or they had a bad day and they're like, you know, I, I know I'm scheduled for 40 minutes. I've got only 25. But what? <laughs> what? That yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I guess we, yeah, we worked very hard to make sure, you know, that for them it was easy, but also, you know, nice for the audience to to be there listening and and having the speakers there in time and leaving when they had to leave. Right. How yeah. about the future then? So you mentioned hybrid, and that's something that we we discussed a couple episodes ago about the music industry, and we yeah. agree here it's going to be hybrid, right? In person. Um, for the ones that want to be there and want to have the networking, they want to have the catering, perhaps they want to have these other surrounding events and online for people who just want to stream it, but still want to be there. Right. Which yeah. is, uh, I think it's good. Yeah. But like, what's, what's your vision of the, do you think like the online people will also have to be monetized as well, or that people will have to be there for free, for instance, because they're not experiencing the whole package? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, we still believe that they should pay for a ticket when it's online because there is still, when we are paying for a lot of, you know, softwares, platforms and so on behind, oh, yeah. you know, to, 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 to be able to provide this service and also, you know, um, for you to be able to network. Um, maybe you could have a type of a ticket maybe where you don't have the opportunity to do the networking because um, that way you reduce some costs. But I still believe, again, I mean, if you pay for something, you're going to be much more excited and you're going to be there. Obviously, if you are very busy and something happened that, that day, you won't be able to be there. But, but I think, uh, yeah, people need to pay for, 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 for attending a business conference. Um, no, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that that's, it. that's it. Yeah. And how about speakers? Because we've seen that in some conferences, right? It was sort of pioneered a few years back. And, and you see that sometimes this really huge speaker, really huge speaker, um, cannot make it to the event or, but he or she will speak at the event if it's online, right? So you have a hundred speakers and they're all there, but one or two that are like, I don't know, politics, super important, like Barack Obama. Like there was, I think there was, I think it was Juliana Sanch or no, Edward Snowden at, at um, Web Summit. Web Summit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, for, for obvious obviously, reasons, he, he was speaking uh, <laughs> through streaming, right? Yeah. 
But do you how do you envision this? What will be the distribution like in your events coming forward? Like once the pandemic is over and we'll have you will go back to to this hybrid model. Uh, you will go to this hybrid model, and if so, how about the speakers? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the speakers, we haven't thought that much about that. We've thought more from the attendee side, um, but we would prefer to have the speakers physically there. Correct. Um, because it's 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 more you know you know if you have all the speakers together you get another vibe between them or at least Definitely. all of them are, uh, online so so they're all on the same kind of level right but I can imagine yeah I mean in some cases a great speaker will not be able to to travel and then this person should uh, connect online but we would try everything possible to make them come. I mean, we, we already managed to get, you know, central banks and so on to travel to Barcelona and Copenhagen. So, you know, and other high level people. So I think we would be able to do that also in the future. It also depends on how COVID <laughs> looks like, but at least if we get COVID under control, people like to travel. And, and especially if it's, if, if it's a topic, you know, that also is interesting for them, right? So they are willing to travel. Yeah. However, because of the pandemic, uh, the studies predict that 50% of business travel will be gone. Exactly. Therefore, that will yeah. have the direct. I mean, I don't think that will affect that much conferences for the attendees because the market is so huge that if you are having a 500 people conference, it's easy to get 500 people from all over the world to attend your conference. Right? But mm. for speakers, you will have to work your ass off in order to get that list of 25, 50, 100 speakers because it will be twice as hard to get them, right? Yeah, because they will not true. be traveling for business anymore. They will not be traveling to conferences. They will not be traveling to conferences of a certain size, right? Yeah. So um, is there any anything, any strategy that you are coming up with to deal with this? Are you preparing for this or how do you think well, we can make honest, it happen? <laughs> no, I mean, no, Barcelona no, has got a lot of sufficient attractions. Like we say, like, look, it's look how sunny it is in Barcelona. It's what? It's almost December and it's <laughs> yeah. 18 degrees outside. And this is this blazing sun right however how will you do it well to be honest we haven't thought that much about it but but people are asking us like oh even like you know high level companies like when can you you know do something physically again because people want to actually travel to barcelona besides meeting um in a in a conference so how will we do it i mean i guess we'll do it as we've always done you know it's very much like you know we speak directly with the these high level people and invite them. And, and I guess for them, since it's, it's an exciting topic, you know, blockchain, <laughs> it's exciting. Um, they will continue to be interested, but again, if internally, as we all know, probably yeah, 50% of all business traveling will, will, will disappear in the future. You know, they also need to argue or, or, I mean, internally, you know, to say, okay, this conference is important because this, this and that. So maybe we should help them, you know, uh, make it a bit more clear why they should be there so they can, you know, get the, you know, get the, you know, how to say, the, the approval. Thumbs up, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The approval to travel, right? I guess we have to think about that because if you have to choose uh, an important business meeting or an interesting conference, right, <laughs> maybe the business meeting is more valuable. But I guess, yeah, we have to think about that, how we can help our speakers to, to get the approval. Barcelona is a good value proposition for any conference because it's easy yeah. for us to say, like, you know, we've flown people from fucking LA, you know, the West Coast. They're like, yeah, I'm, even attendees. In our first conference, we had people from Los Angeles. They're like, I always wanted to come to Barcelona. So 
I saw the yeah. Starbrand conference they came. However, this is sort of what happens with the, the online screening of what we were mentioning before, right? If you get invited to a conference, which is in a place that's not so great, right? These places yeah. will lose a significant amount of good speakers and attendees because they're like, I can go there online. Like, yeah, and exactly. So, exactly. you know, it's kind of like creating the, the, the same effect there. Anyways, yeah. that was sort of an unsolicited opinion or prediction, right? But I think that this will be, it will be much more difficult to create conferences in, in places that are not that appealing, right? For tourism. Helsinki. But, but precisely, I was thinking of Helsinki because, uh, you know, um, as much as I, I like Nordic countries, but I, like, I, I don't enjoy the cold, right? But Helsinki has got slush. And slush exactly. is That's more than saying. a conference. But yeah. it's more than a conference, right? You go there for the whole experience, right? Same yeah. as Web Summit. So are conferences of the future something else, an evolution of business conferences? Like, would people still be going to boring conferences? Or unless you put like something else surrounding the conference, people will not go there. Well, I mean, I, I believe that, you know, I mean, to get that the internal approval, you cannot say that Barcelona is great and they have nice wine and nice food and nice, nice sun, right? That's not, that's not, not, that's not, that's not there. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess at least for the speaker, for the attendees, I mean, that's going to be a plus. Um, and I think it's going to help us uh, Alex here in Barcelona that we can do the conferences oh, here definitely. compared to doing it in in Malmö in South Sweden um, or in Helsinki yeah they have slots and it's an, a very important event but it's not that sexy right it's not that sexy so if you can do something online I guess they will lose some attendees or some speakers uh, because you know Helsinki hmm. I'd rather go to you know to France to Spain to other you know more exotic countries where they have nice food and and, and so on right um, maybe maybe then people will be freeing up more time in the calendars because they'll be flying to fewer places but they will do more meaningful stays right or they yeah. will just all right yeah, yeah that's an yeah. interesting way to way, way to put it and maybe as we you and I as conference organizers will have to think more about the real experience for people attending like what's the added value for attending in person it will yeah. not only be the networking because you can have also networking in in malmo right yeah. but maybe like some surrounding events as in like you know the the uh the opening night you said the gala night whatever you it will be in a you know in a rooftop close to the sea something like that and then there's this activity and then there's networking in a park in Barcelona or whatever thing, right? I don't know. Yeah. Like we'll have yeah, to yeah. think more about this kind True. of things, right? True. We have to be more creative <clears throat> indeed. Yeah. All right. Last question to wrap this up. I'm really thank you, uh, thankful for your time is what's the biggest fuck up you've ever done by organizing a conference? And if so, can you quantify it economically? I guess economically, we haven't really done any big fuck ups, but I would say congratulations because <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay, no, I would say I mean when we did our edition in Copenhagen, I mean it's not a fuck up, but at least we realized that it's difficult to to make it as sustainable financially as in Barcelona, and I guess it's for several reasons because the blockchain industry in the Nordics is not that big. I mean, it's also smaller countries. They have an, they have an industry, but it, it's smaller. And also, well, I guess it's more exciting to fly to Barcelona and it's a flight to Copenhagen, even though Copenhagen is a, a beautiful city. So, but it, I wouldn't call it a big fuck up. I would say um, 
maybe a, a, a fuck up. It's kind of like, well, we, we did our first hire this year and, and we had to fire that person five months afterwards. Maybe that's a fuck up from our side, but I guess, I mean, we had no clue about how to hire a person. I mean, we, we're not experts in, H, in HR and so on. Um, so that's kind of a fuck up because, you know, you, you, you take out a, a person from one company, right? Bring it into your company and then you invest time and money on this person. And then you realize that that was not the right person. That's, I guess, but I, I mean, most young companies, well, even not young companies, just established companies do a lot Any of company. mistakes. Yeah. Hiring. And, and it's difficult. It's difficult. <laughs> so it is difficult. Unfortunately, that's, that's one of the mistakes that we get the most. Like I hired the wrong person. We're not born being experts. Right. And yeah. it's hard to predict how a person will kind of like yeah. roll yeah. out. Right. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh no, but it's the employer person and empl no, employers fault, but it's not, I mean, it was my fault. It was Daniel's fault. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we didn't do our work correctly. Right. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Well, Thank you very much. Victoria, before you go, you've got this camera and you got all these people listening to us. Um, in one minute, what should they know about you? What's going on in your life? Or uh, what should they know about your businesses and next initiatives? What should they know? We of oh, many things. We are launching the European Tech School, where we were providing um, blockchain courses to begin with. Um, besides that, I'm always very interested in, in, in investing. But investing is not always, I guess, uh, it could be... Right now, we're actually talking to one of our clients where we're looking into if we can do a media for equity agreement. So basically providing our services, media services through the conferences, talks, and so on. And then they will give us equity or phantom shares. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking into yeah, um, investing, new opportunities. <laughs> I've always been very excited about this, this part. So, I mean, anyone is very welcome to, to reach out. Um, I'm always looking to, yeah, I guess to, to provide value to others, but also to grow, to grow, grow, grow my net worth. Um, and I think it's fun as well. So Perfect. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Victoria. <laughs> thank you, and Alex. Thank you, everybody. And see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. We are Mars-based. An all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you?